Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and well, it's the interview that has caused shockwaves on both sides of the Atlantic. Finally, we got to sit down to watch the interview conducted by Oprah Winfrey with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Harry and Meghan. And to say it was explosive is probably one of the biggest understatements of the year as social media has been absolutely awash with speculation and frenzy afterwards. And today on this very special edition of Palace Confidential, we will be dissecting that interview in full With my guest panel right here on Mail Plus, we have the Daily Mail's Royal Editor, Rebecca English, the Saturday Diary Editor, Richard Eden, and Daily Mail's columnist, Sarah Vine. Good morning to you all. Morning. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. I'm going to start with you, Rebecca. Um, Did you get any sleep the night that the interview aired? Did you watch the whole thing live? I watched the whole thing and I've got the bags to prove it as well. (laughs) (laughs) It was a long night, but my God, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. And it was expected to be revelatory, but I think we're all still reeling from quite how revelatory. Is that fair? Uh, Yeah, as is Buckingham Palace. I mean, when I spoke to people on Sunday, it was clear they were bunkering down and knew that things would be kind of difficult and uncomfortable. But, I mean, no one expected how utterly brutal it would be uh, when the interview was aired, that's for certain. Now, obviously, this is... um, you know, a, a, like a, a monologue from Harry and Meghan, it's totally their side of the story. Do you think we will hear from the palace? Do you think they will refute anything? Will they make any sort of statement in response to this extraordinary interview? It's a really tricky situation for them because, I mean, a lot of what they said is very incendiary and there are real powder keg issues there, as, as I'm sure we'll come on to later. Um Initially, over the weekend, they were saying, no, I don't think we're going to react. Yesterday, I was told the statement was drawn up, but the Queen personally decided she wanted to sleep on it overnight. Um, uh, I, think we, I think we can expect something today, I have to say, and I'd be very surprised if they don't. Um, mm. There are the, the front pages, every news channel, you know, it, it's the lead item everywhere. You know, we, we're seeing front pages in the Sun newspaper um, saying, who's the royal racist? I mean, there's just something the palace now cannot ignore. It's, it really rather smacks to me. It's starting to build that crescendo. I remember when Diana passed away and um, there was just, the, the more silent the palace was, the more outrage there was. It, it, do you feel like it's heading that way if they're not careful? Very much so, because, of course, the couple raised issues um, in the interview that have huge resonance, not just for the royal family, but for our nation as a whole. Um, And I think they cannot ignore this. Um, And I think it would be I I personally think it was a mistake not to say anything yesterday, but you have to respect the decision. This is also a family issue as well as a a kind of a, a national interest issue. But I think if they don't say anything today, it will be it will be a bad move because you will do, it'd be a death by a thousand cuts, basically, if they don't. Mm-hmm. OK, well, I don't really quite know where to begin with all of this, but I'm going to rewind a little bit just to go back to some of the comments in the beginning of the interview. Sarah, turning to you, 
I, I was really surprised that Meghan said that she'd never Googled the royal family. She'd never Googled Prince Harry. Uh, does, did that strike you as, as odd? I, it's completely, completely ridiculous. I mean, of course she must have known who he was. I just, I just find the whole thing extraordinary, especially since we know that, you know, she was she was always quite interested in Princess Diana, and she, you know, she took a, you know, as a young girl, she took an interest in all of these things. I mean, I think it's pretty hard to be in the world that she was in, which is a sort of showbiz world, and not have any awareness of this royal family. I can understand that, you know, yes, we've we've all heard of the royal family, but I but I can also understand not understanding what it means to join that family, particularly if you're an American. What do you think, Richard? Um, I think, I mean, I'm still reeling today, really, from the whole thing. I feel a bit like it's sort of after a family party that's gone horribly wrong and people have said things which they regret the next day. And I feel like we've all got a bit of a, a hangover. Um, I mean, my main feelings watching it last night was just um, sadness and anger really I thought it was just so unfair to make these comments about the Duchess of Cambridge particularly Prince William and Prince Charles when they can't answer back. I suppose Meghan's point um, in raising some of that if I was to play devil's advocate was that for so long you know particularly the, the Kate narrative the narrative that was unchallenged by the palace was that she was the one who made Kate cry so maybe that's why she's come forward with this in this way. What, what do you say to that? I, I just think it's it's grossly unfair. You know, there's I'm sure there's two sides to every story, isn't it? I mean, I suspect that the truth there is they probably both left this very fraught, fitting, and um, bridesmaids dressed fitting. Probably both of them got home and had shed a few tears. I'm sure it was all very traumatic. And then Kate sent her flowers to try and um, smooth things over before the wedding. But whatever the truth, just talking about it, when one person can't answer back. And the Duchess of Cambridge, my goodness, you know, she's never spoken out. She's never said a word. You know, even I remember meeting her after she temporarily split up with Prince William and she was so discreet. Even then, her family have never commented. And there she is being, you know, criticised in the most public way. Now, I think it's truly horrible. And, and I think I think also I think Richard's absolutely right. I think you know weddings are very emotional things anyway. Everybody always bursts into tears during a wedding. You know, and, and you know whatever you're doing, it's just normal. That's what happens. They're, they're they're big moments. It just feels really unfair. It feels like it it's just wrong and unfair to do this to people who can't really you know they can't sit down and do a riposte interview because that would be preposterous. So they're just having to sit there and have people throw stuff at them and and not have any way of comeback and because the second they do come back of course you know then they make the story even bigger and I think Rebecca's point about them being forced into making a statement I understand why they don't want to make a statement because where do you stop if you make a statement about this mm-hmm. stuff you know where are you going to end with it you know what was the context of the of this concern about Archie you know at what point do you they are they are making it impossible for the palace and they have deliberately done that. And it's like, you know, they haven't just left the House of Windsor, they decided to set fire to the place on the way out. 
I want to move on for a second just to, Rebecca, were you surprised or did you already know that um, about this claim of the private wedding three days before the big public ceremony? No, I have to be absolutely honest. We were all gobsmacked when we, me and other journalists were listening to the interview. Um, I have to say, though, they, they kind of made it sound like they actually, you know, had a proper wedding ceremony with the Archbishop of, of Canterbury three days before the wedding. I'm not sure that's entirely the case because you've got to have witnesses and you know, there's a legal process to go to. It sounds like it was almost some kind of, you know, nice, happy humanist ceremony in their back garden. Um, but but see, where I slightly turn this on his head because... Yeah, Harry has often accused the media and the general public of this kind of voracious interest in their private lives and, you know, how they've been under siege because of them in the past few years. But actually very little about what they do privately ever made its way into the papers. I can I can count on one hand the amount of pictures that we were offered as a paper of them uh, outside of royal engagements and I can think of maybe only one opportunity uh, we ever used them I mean they actually had a wedding ceremony that nobody knew about you're so right there Rebecca because when I watched that thing I thought this is one part of their marriage of their wedding which was very public that is genuinely private that is really properly nobody knows about and there you are feeding chickens with Oprah, telling the world about it. I'm sorry, sorry, what, sorry, I thought you wanted privacy. No, I thought it was very sweet. We know that the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, had taken a very close interest in Harry and Meghan, and he'd been giving Meghan lessons, confirmation classes, before she um, was baptised and then confirmed in one service at the Chapel Royal in the run-up to the wedding. So I did think it was very sweet, and it, it made me wonder, you know, is he available for... You know, any other weddings? Will he just turn up and conduct a, a mini service in your garden? Um, I mean, clearly, if you're exchanging vows, which is what they did in front of the most senior cleric in the Anglican world, I think it's fair to sort of assume that that was a wedding, e even if it didn't pass the um, sort of legalistic measures. It's a lot cheaper than the one three days later. <laughs> yeah, I love, also I love the casual grandeur of, the, of this person who claims to be so sort of you know naive and humble. Oh, you know, I just got the Archbishop to come along. <laughs> yeah. So we have in tandem the conversation of he won't be given security. He's not going to be given a title, and also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. What? And who, who is having that conversation with you? The really the most incendiary claim from the whole thing that, you know, that Meghan and Harry both said that there was discussion or quote unquote concern in the family about what colour Archie's skin might be when he was born. Um, Rebecca, have you had any more detail from this, from anyone behind the scenes? No, and obviously there's a good reason why, because this is the most difficult thing for the palace and the royal family to comment on. Um, 
I think one of the things that we want to know more about is the context of it. In which context was it said? I mean, clearly it was it was crass and clunky and horrible, um, but there could be a context to it uh, that we don't know about. And I think the palace want to find out more about that. And um, it's quite interesting that Harry and Meghan's story slightly, slightly differs on this because Meghan said it happened when she was pregnant that Harry had the conversation with this unnamed family member. And interestingly, she said it wasn't just a conversation and a comment that this person concerned raised concerns about her child's skin colour, which is, is a really shocking allegation to make and very troubling if true. Whereas Harry says um, it happened right at the beginning before they were even married. And while he says it was kind of an awkward conversation, he was a bit shocked they made this remark. He didn't seem to suggest there was anything more sinister to it to that. So it's a tricky one. But the trouble is they've kind of gone in there and kind of half set off this bomb and are leaving other people to pick up pieces of the wreckage interesting while both of them said they didn't want to name the person concerned because it would be too damaging for them harry then told oprah can you please make clear in any subsequent publicity you do that it wasn't my grandmother or grandfather so that kind of leaves a kind of ever narrowing you know band of suspects and you know that's something that's that's very difficult and very potentially damaging um for the royal family and also maybe potentially libelous in some cases because well, they're all like, being 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 branded as racist at the moment. And there's a bit sure, of a guessing game going on. Surely, um, having sort of, as you say, dropped this half bomb, surely this is a public interest matter. I think some people would feel it was if someone had made, you know, such an offensive comment uh, as that. But as I say, we, we only know half the detail. That's the trouble. Um, of all of these things, I think, is... And my colleagues have said there are two sides to every story, but it's whether the palace want to tell their side because it is such a problematic issue. Mm. Now, let's move on. I want to discuss um, this whole question of Archie not being automatically a prince and whether that was a decision or if that's protocol. Who wants to explain to the Australian Commonwealth subject what the rules are around Archie being a prince or not. Not me. I, <laughs> I can happily try and explain it to you, but very simple. It, it's it's history. George V laid down some rules and regulations, um, which basically said that you know only only family to do with the direct heirs of the throne passed down through the male line. Um, would be um, entitled to be HRHs and prince and princesses. Um, the simple fact is that, as as Harry's son, Archie was not entitled to be an HRH or a prince when he was born, unless they asked the Queen to issue letters patent to make a point of making him one. Um, and we, and I have to say this, we were very strongly briefed at the time as journalists by the people employed by the Sussexes, that actually they were cool with this because they wanted Harry to be uh, Archie to be Master Archie Harrison, Mountbatten, Windsor, and to be able to kind of live a life if he so chose, a bit akin to that of Zara and Peter Phillips. It was being conflated with the issue of security, and uh, and Meghan was saying very clearly, look, the reason why the only the only reason why I wanted him to be a prince was because that came with a level of security, and that would keep my child safe. But the point that's been made to me is that, you know, as as seventh in line to the throne, as Harry's son, he, he was always going to be entitled to security as a member of the royal family. That wasn't an issue. And even though the Prince of Wales wanted a wants a slim down monarchy in the future, Harry and his family were always an important part of that. You know, he would have always been protected 
within the confines of the royal family. So people just can't understand why this is being said now. Mm. Richard, I want to ask you about the, the wider ramifications for perceptions in the Commonwealth, no matter what is true and what isn't true now about this, you know, race row, is that, you know, the, the, the greater regions of the Commonwealth are, are largely populated by non-white people. How do you think this is going to play in, in the broader global scale in that way? I think the interview will come to be seen as very damaging indeed. And, you know, in this day and age, throwing around an accusation of racism is pretty much the worst thing that can be done. And, and to leave it in this abstract way as well, leaves this stain, you know, sort of over the whole royal family. Um, and it's, it is very unpleasant. They were very careful not to be rude about the Queen or Prince Philip, but instead very negative, unpleasant about William, Kate and Prince Charles. And this is really saying we're the new royal family, you know, we're the woke royal family in touch with modern views and in touch with Americans particularly, and it seems to have gone down very well in places like America, where we've, for goodness sake, we've even had a spokesman for the American president saying how brave Meghan was to talk and that sort of thing. I think that going back to the racism accusation in, in relation to the Commonwealth, the Queen has dedicated her entire reign in, in large part to the Commonwealth. She is hugely committed to this organisation. It is her absolute passion. So... For them to come out with this racism accusation is a real blow to the solar plexus for her because it will, in some ways, it will taint all of that work that she has done. I mean, the, you know, the cruelty of what they have, of that, you know, this is a woman who has worked tirelessly for the Commonwealth, who is clearly not in the slightest bit prejudiced or racist, who loves the Commonwealth. And for them to then come along and make this little sort of half accusation. It's really shocking. I, I would just say on that as well, that when it came to the Commonwealth, you know, the Queen had really high hopes for mm. Harry and Meghan. And she gave them really plum Commonwealth roles because um, the Commonwealth, I think the statistic is something like it's 60% of it is comprised of citizens under the age of 30. Mm. So she, I think she really felt that Harry and Meghan would provide a really unifying factor for that, huge, for that huge swathe of the population. So I know she would have taken, hit her very hard to do that. Um, and there's one other point I think I'd make, though. Um, Megan, Megan made a really interesting point. It's something I it struck a chord with me, that she was disappointed by some of the way, some of the way, their role, the way in which their roles with the Commonwealth ended, because she said she could see in people's eyes how much it meant to them to have a, a senior woman of colour in that kind of position. And I have to say, I agree. I do think it's a massive opportunity loss. Um, and it won't, it'll be uncomfortable with Buckingham Palace going back to this race issue because the palace prides itself on on being a fairly diverse employer, and certainly it, it is when it comes to more junior members of staff, but. Um, it is pretty woefully short when it comes to higher up the food chain. And I think that's something that this whole issue uh, should prompt the palace to look uh, internally at. Look, I was really ashamed to say it at the time and ashamed to have to admit it to Harry, especially um, because I know how much loss he suffered. Mm -hmm. But I knew that if I didn't say it, that I would do it. And I, I just didn't, 
I just didn't want to be alive anymore. The other really disturbing claim that Megan made is that she was actually thinking about taking her own life during her time at the palace. And for so many people, this has really brought back the whole, the, the moments of Diana's mental health and her unhappiness at those times. Um, what, what, what did the panel think about this? I think that um, we all in our lives have moments where we're deeply unhappy and feel very sad. And, you know, I don't think that her experience is necessarily unique. Um, I think that um, the important thing is to talk about it and to try and do something about it. I think it's interesting that she felt very low during her pregnancy. I mean, I think that's a very common experience for a lot of women. You know, there's a lot going on. I mean, there would have. I mean, there was a lot of change in her life, wasn't there? She just married into the royal family. Then she got pregnant very quickly. Pregnancy really changes you. It's it's quite. You know, I found it quite difficult. I, I think a lot of women do. It's it's. You know, you suddenly feel like your body doesn't belong to you anymore. You're kind of out of control. You know, your your hormones are everywhere. Um, so I think. What, I, what surprised me slightly was that she said she spoke to HR about it. I mean, I, I'm not sure that that would have been perhaps the best way to, to deal with it. I'm sure she should have spoken to Harry. And I, I find it hard to believe that they would have barred her from seeing anyone. I mean, you know, the Queen and, I mean, the, the, royals, the royals have all sorts of medical issues and they very rarely get out into the open unless they want them to be out into the open. So, I, you know, I'm slightly surprised that she says that. Um, again, yeah, I just want to, yeah, sorry, I want to bring you in at this point, Richard, because that, that struck me as, as odd that they would bar her from that psychiatric support when you know, the, the Fab Four, as they were once known, were, have done so much in that space to discuss mental health. What, what's your view? I thought this really was sort of the saddest part of the whole programme um, last night. And, and it's something which will have upset everyone for the reasons you mentioned, because, you know, even at their first appearance as the Fab Four together, they were talking about mental health issues. And I'm sure people would have wanted to help Megan had they known. I mean, it's not... It's not clear exactly who she spoke to or whatever, but the, the end result is she felt very isolated. And that brings back memories of Diana um, that I think it's very easy to get cut off from life. And Megan went from having a very full life, um, you know, being very active with her lifestyle blog and everything, to then being on her own in a cottage where she said it was difficult for her even to have friends around or to go out or anything. And, and I, I felt sorry for her. And I think that's something which um, is, will definitely be a, a cause of regret for the royal family, I think. Rebecca, uh, does this, oh, sorry. sorry, I was going to ask you if this yeah, rings yeah. true with how you know the inner workings are at the palace. Is it, did they really sort of like strategically tell members of the royal family that they need to stay inside because they're overexposed or that they can't have lunch with their friends? No, I mean, not, not in my experience. I mean, I'm really torn about this because it makes me, makes me really sad to think that anybody could feel like that in any situation. And I think her account of how they were attending public events and they were putting on a smile, but inside, you know, her heart was breaking, I think it is inc was incredibly moving. The one thing I, I, I don't understand is this suggestion that um, 
Harry, who is someone who has talked really bravely and openly about his own mental health issues and how he sought professional help for the um, emotional trauma he felt as the, the loss of his mother, how when he realised his wife was experiencing these kind of feelings, wouldn't know how to access her the help that she needed. And I don't understand, I know people within the palace don't understand, your suggestion of her going to Palace HR. I mean, Palace HR is for I employees. Um, and I suppose while Meghan and Harry might be employees of the Queen, they're not royal household employees. Um, so there would be no reason to go to HR about it. I mean, it's a very personal issue. And that's one thing I'm constantly told. Members of the royal family are entitled to private medical information. Harry is, is the king of mental health issues. The idea that he doesn't have a really good psychologist or psychiatrist on speed dial is just impossible. I mean, you know, he would have sorted it out for her. And, and you know, he was there for her. He's always been there for her. He's, you know, he, he, you could not find a more sort of caring or loving husband than Harry. So even assuming that, you know, that she couldn't immediately get access to help, you know, she, he was there with his arm around her, which is more than could be said for Diana and Charles. You know, she was really on her own because he was off, you know, doing other stuff. My grandmother and I have a, a really good relationship mm -hmm. and an understanding, and I have a deep respect for her. She's my colonel-in-chief, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Um, she always will be. What do you think, Sarah, Harry and Meghan, I, I noted, were very keen throughout the interview to really emphasise their closeness with the Queen. There was the touching story of Meghan and the Queen sharing a blanket in the back of a car and things like that. Did, and then, by contrast, talking about Charles and William being out of touch, Charles and William being trapped, uh, you know, Harry a little bit estranged from them both. Does that seem like, that seems quite savvy to me, this sort of like aligning yeah. themselves with, with the most popular royal? Yes, and, and, and you know, I think, I think the thing about Harry is that he's always had a problem with his father. I mean, when he did those, when the boys did that interview, I mean, Rebecca will know more about this than me, but when the boys did that interview in 2017, which was the 20th anniversary of their mother's death, it was very clear that William had sort of made his peace with it and was trying to move on, but that Harry was furious with Charles and that he blamed him for all of the terrible things that happened to Diana and that he really hadn't reconciled himself with his father. And I think, that has really come through in this subsequent interview. And I think their relationship is very damaged, you know, in that respect. And part of this is, is Harry's revenge uh, on his father. And I think he really does feel very strongly that, you know, his mother was very poorly treated by his dad and that that was why she ended up having such a tragic life. And, you know, he's, he, you know, the whole, everything feeds from that, doesn't it, with Harry? Everything comes from that. that I want to bring you in on, on this, Richard, because I was really surprised that Harry, who we know talks a lot about valuing his privacy, exposed this really intimate relationship with his father to Oprah Winfrey. It was, it, I, I found that a really sort of strange contradiction. What, what's your take? I think that's what will be most hurtful, isn't it? I mean, you know, to have that put out there for everyone what, rather than pick up the phone. I mean, he mentioned that Charles had stopped taking his calls, but he said now they are speaking. And it was clear that he's not speaking to Prince William at all. And I'm sure that won't change for a long time now. 
And mm. it, it was, it did seem calculated. And I think it was part of this plan, which is deliberately to set themselves apart and show how Harry and Meghan are different from William and Kate and Charles, and they are rivals. Let's be frank about it. But it seems as well that I, I completely, I take on board what, what Sarah is saying about Harry having this fraught history with his father, but he's sort of burnt the William Bridge as well, which really surprised me. I think that might, might be to do with the fact that William has to an extent reconciled with his father and has sort of, you know, tried to get past all of these problems. And of course, William was a little bit older than Harry when it all went sort of horribly wrong. And I think, but you know, w William has has tried to heal himself in a very different way to Harry. I think William has gone, you know, William has gone and he has he has taken taken, you know, a lot of comfort from the sort of safety of his family, his, his the one that he's created. And he's sort of, I think many ways, in many ways, he feels like he's internalized his problems and dealt with them quite quietly. Whereas Harry hasn't. He's like his mother, he's not going to go quietly. You know, yeah. he, he externalizes all this anger, it comes out in him. And 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 that's what he's doing. He is he's lashing out. This interview is a very damaged young boy lashing out at the people who he thinks have destroyed his life. And that's what we're seeing. He's very angry and, and there's a lot of power in it. Rebecca, do you think Prince Charles and Prince William are trapped in the royal system? That was, that was a stunning thing to say, I thought. I suppose in some ways they are because, you know, I can't imagine, and I've, I've written this about Harry, what it must be to, to grow up knowing that your life is mapped out for you, that, you know, you've got very little freedom in the life choices that you make. But I, I think where Harry slightly underestimates his father and brother is that they have come to terms with it and have realised that they are in a very privileged position. It might not be for everyone, but they can do an immense amount of good with it. So, you know, the Prince of Wales has devoted his life to trying to, you know, make society better. William's coming into his own on issues like mental health and the environment. So they are, they are, I suppose you could say they're making the best of a bad job, but I think, I think it's, I think it's more positive than that. Um, Harry clearly in my dealings with him was, was always being dragged through this kind of royal life, slightly kicking and screaming. There was a brilliant um, comment in one of the papers today. I think it was um, Arthur Edwards, the royal photographer written in the sun. You know, the, again, everyone appreciates that, you know, life has not been easy for Harry, but he made the point of saying, especially when he was talking about finance and things, look, mate, it's not like you're looking down the back of the sofa for spare change. And when you quit your job, your boss doesn't carry on paying your wages when you go to your next one. So, you know, you really need to kind of, you know, buckle up and shut up about it, basically. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, so, Richard, do you think that obviously we're still waiting to see if the palace will make any statements about any of this, but do you think that internally they will be reviewing some of their processes in the wake of these racism and, and mental health allegations? Well, there's so much for palace officials to look into now, isn't there? I mean, we already know they've announced the inquiry into bullying, which was um, after the allegations made against Meghan. And so now they, they need to look at everything. I mean, how, how they treat people, yeah, mental health, all these type of issues. But, I mean, where do they start, really? That's the thing. I mean, we'll see what they say in their statement. 
but that will be a defensive statement, I'm sure. Um, but I would have thought they'll want to include something positive about how they're moving on and plan to improve things in the future. But I mean, personally, my advice to them would be not to say anything. Much better, as Sarah suggested, to show what you're doing in acts rather than just more words. Because uh, you'll probably then get another response from Harry and Meghan and it just goes on. It's, it's, I don't think that would be very sensible at all. The point is, if she felt that uh, his, her son's race was being impugned, then that is a bad thing and they should apologise for that. But the thing is, we don't know who it was. We don't know in what context it was. So it's very hard to actually, you know, come up with any sort of practical solution to the problem. Rebecca, what do you think about going forward? Obviously, they've got a baby girl on the way. It all looks very idyllic in Archie's chicken inn. They're living a lovely life. Do you think they will now sail off into the sunset, draw a line under this, stop sort of like talking in this way or, or yeah, and, and live their private life or will we see more of them? Well, that's the $64,000 question, isn't it? I mean, before the interview, uh, the Sussex's PR team were briefing um, some of their kind of chosen uh, papers that they wanted this interview to be their last word on the subject and they were going to draw a line on it, uh, which all sounded very well until you heard what they had to say and realised that they'd absolutely press a nuclear button, as someone described to me. Um, I, I think the royal family would hope that they would do that, not because they want to shut them up or they want to silence, but I think many people feel, listen, go and live your best life, you know, it, it be, be happy. This interview has gripped the global conversation in the last two days, and I suspect it will over the coming weeks. So that is, I'm afraid, all we have time for today. I want to thank the panel hugely. Thank you, Richard, Sarah and Rebecca, for joining me on Palace Confidential today. And we will see you on Thursday for more updates on this extraordinary story. Thanks for joining us here on Mail Plus. Mail Plus.